Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. I ate a pizza pop. How did you enjoy your Pillsbury pizza pop? It was it was it was all right. It was it was like a kind of like a mini calzone, except the outside was. I was expecting it to be more like pastry, like a pastry crust, mm-hmm. and it was more sort of like a chewy bready crust. But it was good. I, I quite enjoyed the uh, the filling, oh, the pizza, you know, cheese, and and the, I enjoyed the flavor of the pizza sauce. It was it was about the kind of thing that you would expect from like a Pillsbury pizza flavored the concoction that you could cook in the microwave. Although there are more in that big box. I would kind of like to try some in the oven because I think that they would be more flaky and crispy. Ooh, I've never had one in the oven before. What? Well, they're the typical teenage meal. Throw it in the microwave, flip it over for another minute, and boom, you got you have a little snack. So, gotcha. yeah, this is, oven? This is where John Syracuse would say we should have a toaster oven. Yeah. Oh, what, he's what, a proponent of toaster ovens? Yeah, very much so, yes. I used to have a toaster oven many, many years ago. I never used it. I probably should have because mm-hmm. then it would be handy for mm-hmm. just this occasion. I've always wanted a toaster oven since I learned that they existed, which was very, very late in life. You haven't had a toaster oven before? I've never had it. No, nobody I knew had a toaster oven. It was not a thing in the Midwest. Um, I mean, maybe maybe there's some rich kids in my school that had a toaster oven. but <laughs> it, I, it was a pretty, pretty high-end item. I mean, it, I think it must have been because I didn't know anybody who had one. Like, every, everybody I knew had a toaster but that was just like a slot toaster yeah. with for you know pieces of bread and if you were you know if you had a real fancy one it was wide enough for a bagel I think we need to get a toaster oven now I have wanted one for years I've been I've been plumping for this so if this if we can get a toaster oven because of the dominators and pizza puffs my life will be uh, so much better. The, the prophecy <laughs> has been fulfilled from me eating pizza pops like mm-hmm almost 30 years ago watching the dominators has now led us to possibly getting a toaster oven Mm -hmm. wow yep it's exciting almost exciting (laughs) as the conclusion of the (laughs) dominators we watched episodes four and five we wrapped it up we finished it up Mm -hmm. how'd you what did you think (laughs) i liked it i think i think uh episode one i enjoyed because it was the first episode and that's just how I roll I yeah. almost always like first episodes episodes two and three I was a little bit more iffy on because I just I was I was still getting really annoyed by all of the just annoying Dulcians uh-huh. and their constant chatter uh and just Toba 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 Rago and Toba yeah Toba constantly destroy 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 and after discussing those two episodes with you on our previous episode of the podcast, I think I helped convince myself, maybe more than anything else, uh-huh. that it really is just, I should just relax and <coughs> lean into the comedy yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And so then watching episodes four and five, I mean, maybe it was the pizza pop. I don't know. <laughs> they do have that effect. <laughs> but I I really did. Just like, you know, they were, I don't know how many times in those two episodes, I just like turned to you and pointed at the screen and said, comedy. Yeah comedy and i just it was a hoot it was a hoot it was a hoot wasn't it i it's because i think this is where derek sherwin really takes over um because he was totally uh unhappy with the scripts as sent to him and so was 
pretty much took over the last three episodes and truncated them into two, essentially, more or less, uh, and rewrote a bunch of it. And that's why Norman Ashby appears in the opening credits because, I mean, Hazeman and, Hazeman and Lincoln had very little to do with it in the last two episodes. So perhaps it's because of Derek Sherwin's um, rewriting of it that made it uh, truck along like that. Yeah, it definitely, it, it felt like both episodes four and five had a lot of, of action. And I mean, you could argue that, that a lot of the action is sort of the same thing over and over again. You get Jamie and Cully um, running around trying to destroy mm-hmm. um, destroy the quarks with their awesome little medical bombs. That was a, a cool little doctor doing science thing, which yep. is always, always fun. Also, I just have to say, every time I hear Cully's name, I think of Midsummer Murders because that's what John Nettles' character's daughter's name is, Cully. So I'm like, yeah, this guy is not at all like uh, like her. <laughs> you are not a theremin, sir. So yeah, I I very much enjoyed Jamie's um, take chargedness in these episodes. Like he just he's he's a, a battle hardened soldier, and you know has has learned a thing or two in his time about tactics, and has like I think Jamie's greatest quality is his optimism and just his go-getterness like he's just gonna like you know what 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 else can we do try again yeah his simplicity you know like the doctor says oh it's such a simple idea only you could have thought of that Jamie (laughs) it's a backhanded compliment if ever there was one comedy yeah that was totally a a line for laughs and it worked yeah there was there was two or three moments there you know where the doctor sort of explains what what's happening and then everyone just stands in silence (laughs) jamie goes oh (laughs) oh that was that was a brilliant moment from fraser hines that was that was just primo yep Mm -hmm. yeah uh, and then the, literally the last shot also was a very what? Patrick Troughton moment when he realizes that uh, he's in fact on the island that's uh, about to be quashed by a volcanic eruption. Yeah, very much an echo of the scene in the um, in, capsule. Yep, in the capsule where Jamie is saying, "You realize this yeah. capsule is taking us towards a quark. You realize this island that we're on is going to be the volcano you just described." Yeah. Just so you can get that delicious close-up on Patrick Troughton doing some first-class face acting. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a couple repeated memes in this where, you know, episode 2 ends with Cully and Zoe inside a building that Toba is frantically ordering the corks to destroy. Episode 3 ends with Cully and Jamie in a building which Toba is ordering his corks to destroy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some stuff that happens yeah. over and over. It's uh it's thematic yes. right I think it I think it needs to be three times in order to be considered a theme I think that's the film school rule that I wow. learned once is an accident two is just um, you know just bad three is on purpose and that's art Ooh, or perhaps I think Oscar Wilde said you know once uh, one I can't remember what the quote is but one one mistake is uh, is unfortunate too would be is max of carelessness or something like that i only know that quote from the green death <laughs> this is john pertwee's story of course you do yeah i only know any quotes from their use in doctor who episodes hey that's at least you know them. it's learning it's a learning show i learn about things you learn about pizza pops i learn about quotations from oscar wilde all because of doctor who yep yes indeed yeah mm-hmm. you liked that um toba had a bit of, bit of an arc. <laughs> yes, 
because I was not expecting that. So, well, at, at, at one point, episode three, or was it in four? You're talking about the dressing down that he gets? No, I'm talking about his, uh, he had a little bit of, oh, it was when he kills um, ba- Balin. Balin, at the very end of episode four, yeah. Yeah, okay, so he I was I admired his restraint at not going full destruction. He just said kill. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, at the end, when they're drilling the center borehole, which is really important, he, all the other quarks are dying around him, and he, for a moment, says to the quarks, cease drilling, search and destroy. And then he stops himself and says, you know, continue drilling. I was like, oh, he's grown. If he would have survived, Uh I feel like he could have gone on to be a navigator someday. I I also like that, you know, because after that, like, official reprimand that happens in episode Mm -hmm. four and uh, Rago is very upset with him. And like almost like basically threatens to kill him at some point mm-hmm. until he submits. He he makes eye contact at that point. That's something that we had been noticing yeah. while we were watching that we hadn't said on the podcast. That uh, that yeah, Rago almost always when he's shouting at Tobin, Toba is staring kind of like up and past him, kind of like at mm-hmm. his forehead or past his forehead, which I read as a sort of a sign mm-hmm. of disrespect. You are so beneath me that I'm literally looking over your head, mm-hmm. even though you're slightly taller than I am. And uh, and yeah, when he is so upset with him and threatening to kill him, he actually makes eye contact and looks him in the eye like, this is how serious I am, buddy. Mm-hmm. I'm looking you eye to eye. I'm going to murder you if you don't yeah. shape up. <laughs> yeah, what I what I liked about that, so that's like the, the depths of their relationship here, be it professional or personal. But then, you know, then after Rago can sort of tell Atoba's, you know, know, learned his place, and then he sort of goes, you know, goes, oh, come on, accept it. And then Rago stops and goes, don't, Toba, you know, the fleet security has ordered that you know that uh, Dulcins are not suitable for slave labor, so this planet will be destroyed. He almost sympathizes mm-hmm. with his impulses, and then afterwards, as the cork uh, by the drilling unit gets gets blown up, he says, "You know, stay here. I will go." And mm-hmm. so he actually takes over yep. the role of of um, of Toba mm-hmm. and and seeks to destroy with the, with the quark something that he was expressly telling him not to do but I think it was the the stakes had risen to such a point so he he begins to understand him at the very end but then literally his last words are when you know when they said oh why why you know cease cease the takeoff or something oh the countdown's going on was he sees the uh, the seed roll across the floor and he goes obey because he he yells obey for an order that's not going to be able because the ship blows up so even at the very and he sort of veers back to mm-hmm. obey me. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it is interesting. They kind of, they don't meet together in the middle in terms of their styles, but they move s- sort of toward one another because, as you said, you know, he's he's out there doing the destroying with the with the quarks the way that uh, that that Toba had had been doing, and Toba has learned to control his impulses. In order, you know, for the greater good, in order to get the, you know, the long term. It's kind of like the um, the experiments that they did with, I don't know if it was with children or monkeys or maybe both, where like, you, you know, you can have one marshmallow now, or if you wait, you can have two marshmallows. And I feel like to- that's what Toba has learned by the end of the episode. Like, destroy that's the one marshmallow. Right. But if you wait and you drill into the planet, that's the two marshmallows, or rather, a planet full of Delcians that get destroyed. So he's really gonna, you know, he's really gonna get what he truly wants if he keeps the corks drilling. Uh, 
Um, so he's grown. That's right. They both grew. And they had a moment and then they died together. But mm-hmm. well, we, we never find out what happens to the rest of the Dominator fleet. They carry on. This is kind of an interesting case where, like, mm-hmm. you know, rulers of the Ten Galaxies, I guess they continue ruling. And this one ship that was, you know, ordered to uh, gather some fuel for them will never report. And maybe the fuel run, uh, the fleet runs out of fuel. But, um, yeah, we, ne- we never find out what happens to them. And I don't think we hear from them ever again. Spoilers. Yet. Yet. Come on, Chris Chibnall. Series 12 of Doctor Who, Return of the Dominators and the Quarks. I, I think it's, uh, you know, the whole time they're, they're Dominators, they dominate, but they never actually inflict violence on anyone else. They order others to. They've outsourced everything. They use slave labor and they use quarks. They never lift uh, a finger apart from when they're sort of test firing the gun in episode one or episode mm-hmm. two and to, in the end it's their downfall because they need the quarks to kill the mm-hmm. the dolsons and the humans who are thwarting their drilling operation if they only had guns they could have done it but they have to rely on quarks and they rely on them too much and they run out of power bureaucracy and administration yes yep. which mm-hmm. is exactly what was crippling dulk oh there's so many threads in this story <laughs> why is it why is it looked unkindly upon mm-hmm. also you mentioned that like we never hear anything else about the fleet and the fleet never you know these guys never get back to the fleet do you think the fleet's really surprised like i just suspect like these are like i said it's the odd couple they're the bickering old married couple that's just so annoying i suspect that the fleet commander was just like i am so sick of these guys we're gonna send them off to this planet that's way over there if they can bring us some fuel great if they screw up which they might then you know they probably have sent out five other ships in in other directions to to destroy there are actually five other planets somewhere not too far off from Dulcus that were destroyed but they didn't have the TARDIS randomly land on them so they didn't get saved that's a good point yeah they probably (laughs) said you know like they sent the ones off let's just send them on a blind errand just Mm -hmm. off you go why don't listen you two Mm -hmm. go to the gas station far away Mm -hmm. here's a jerry can (laughs) go you know Mm -hmm. and they just yeah i think you're right maybe the fleet doesn't actually need that much fuel right now they're just don't need any fuel at all Uh, maybe they're just happily flying on says oh yeah rago uh Mm -hmm. toba we need some fuel i guess yeah we need oh we got to blow up a planet we have to blow up a whole planet to do it so can you just go ahead and do that Here's here's our here's the eight of our worst quarks. <laughs> you yeah. take them along. I did appreciate t- talking about set design again. Uh, I noticed early on that uh, near the inside of the door on the inside of their spaceship, there were like all these little panels that have pictures of quarks, and I thought it was just like a design element that was just kind of like quirky and yeah. cute. And I was like, that's a little bit too whimsical. I feel like for these guys. And then later I find out, no, 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 those are functional panels. They, they blink on and off depending on whether the, uh, the quarks are in action or have been destroyed. So that was a nice touch. Yeah. I didn't want to spoil that for you mm-hmm. when you mentioned it at the oh, time. Okay. Cause I was like, Oh, I can't wait. She finds out that's actually <laughs> useful. That's Barry Newbury, by the way, Barry Newbury was the designer. Barry Newbury is a legend in doctor who design. He was one of the two designers of essentially, along with Raymond Cusick in the early days of Doctor Who. And they basically alternated. Him, Barry Newber usually did the, like, um, historical stories, mm-hmm. like Marco Polo, I think, and, like, the Aztecs and all the other ones. Uh, and Cusick did the, the mostly the science fiction ones. And then Newbery went on, I think the last one he designed 
was The Awakening in season 20, I think. Oh. Yeah, he designed the uh, secondary control room, TARDIS control room, The Deadly Assassin. Um, yeah, so he's he, he, he has done and he will go on to do a lot of great design work. So it's no wonder that the, um, the Dominator ship looks so nice. Yeah, I want some of his stuff here for us. I wonder if there's a book. I think there was a book published with Barry Newberry's designs. I can't remember, but not that. I mean, that won't bring the door back, Mm -hmm. that wonderful door and the uh, bomb shelter back, and indeed some of the stuff, Mm -hmm. but uh, you can at least look at the pictures. That would be nice. Yeah, Yeah, maybe we'll blow up some of the pictures and just frame them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm actually not kidding. (laughs) Wow. Cool. Okay, well, we'll look into that. We have no wall space. Um, We have bigger TVs now. Um... (laughs) Yes, I know this is our first episode that we watched in Ultra HD. Did it? Did it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was totally in 4K. Ultra HD. Yeah, yeah. T- the, uh, our 4K TV is uh, it's perfect for 1960s Doctor Who. Yeah. I can't wait to watch the Brain of Morbius on it, though. Why? Oh, because his production code is 4K. Uh, I get jokes. I get you'll, hear, you'll hear it again when we watch the Brain of Morbius, I'm, don't we? I don't doubt it. I'll be disappointed if I don't. Yeah. Good. Uh, anything more about the Dominators? Um, oh, I, I liked the team of Jamie and Cully. Yeah. Cully was good. Arthur Cox is his name, mm-hmm. who played him. He will, I think he might have appeared or will appear in uh, Midsummer Murders. Ooh. I could be guessing at that. Mm-hmm. But he does appear in Doctor Who again in the 11th hour, 2010. What? Yeah. Who is he in that? He is, uh, he's older. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a small role, but he is sort of the person when uh, Amy is, um, locks the doctor's tie in the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's him, it's okay. Arthur mm-hmm. Cox is getting out of the car and he has another scene in there too. Okay. I remember you pointing out, um, whenever the last time we watched 11th Hour, right. you pointing out that guy, like that guy was in Doctor Who something, you probably specifically said the Dominators yeah. and that just didn't, uh, so okay, now I can put those two pieces of things together and yeah. that's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I really I really liked him from, kind of from the very beginning. He's, you know, the outcast of the, the Dulcians. He's mm-hmm. the, the only one that we see that has any kind of an inquisitive mind and and thus and thus makes a really good team with Zoe at the beginning yeah. because she's so inquisitive and uh and then is just totally game to hop on board with whatever kind of adventurous mm-hmm. stuff Jamie's got going mm-hmm. on so and and also is it's kind of selfless too like when he gets shot by the quark and is partially paralyzed he's just like immediately go on without me mm-hmm. save yourself save everybody else this is important and jamie's just like no i'm gonna i'm gonna help you and and he does but i i appreciated that that from like just what a what a good character yeah well played too by arthur cox that was a good good natural performance Mm -hmm. for for a guest actor it's kind of a shame that like we never like the doctor says you know teal cando take cully back to the capital Mm -hmm. you'll be safe and like that's it like we don't really get a goodbye scene from them. We don't get mm-hmm. to see how Cully actually saved the day. We don't see his father sort of. Maybe maybe we would have in the six part version or as originally written. Would have been kind of cool to to see some closure on that. You know, Cully was right, mm-hmm. and he was he he helped save the planet, and he should have been commended for that. I hope he becomes the next director, and 
Oh, yeah. Yes. Takes after his father. Well, only follows after his father in the director position, Mm -hmm. but does not take after his father in terms of lack of action. But maybe, uh, you know, inserts a little bit more liveliness into the society. You can do that without violence. Really, I promise. Exactly. You bring rock music, perhaps better fashion. Maybe, I haven't read it, but maybe, just maybe, Ian Martyr inserted a little backstory for Cully Mm. in the novelization of the Dominators (laughs) that you had carried around with you for so long, and now you've watched the story. Well, I only got through the first couple chapters, and now I'm a little sad that I didn't make it all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe once we're done watching all Doctor Who, we'll read the Target novelizations and do Lazy Doctor Who <laughs> all over again. Lazy Bookter Who. Oh, the look on Stephen's face right now is very pained. Booker Who, you were trying to remember a portmanteau that you had in the last episode and before we recorded this episode. What was the clever thing I said? And I couldn't remember what it was and you couldn't remember what it was. No. It wasn't Booker Who. No, it wasn't. But it was uh, it was it was some wonderfully terrible portmanteau that I said in our last episode and yeah. As, as soon as we were done recording, I had already forgotten what it was. All I could remember was your reaction to it, which really, that's the most important thing. Isn't it, though? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what story comes next after this? Is it the mind robber? You are correct. Yeah, I think I, I think I remembered you, I don't know if it was on mic or off mic, talking about the truncation of this ah. uh, this story from six episodes down to five mm-hmm. and then how that sort of led to the mind robber which I am quite aware of the um, the provenance of the first episode of the mind robber I didn't know that it was because of this I just knew that they needed an extra episode and had to sort of punt a little bit but we'll talk more about that next time we will that is what's called a teaser and we have six more pizza pops to get through <laughs> <laughs> Before that box is emptied, so I might have to prolong their tradition and have a pizza pop or two during the uh, watching of the Mind Robber. That's exciting. That makes me want to watch the Mind Robber uh, after we buy a Toaster Robin. Command accepted. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.